BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, December 14th is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of pots you can find in those dispensaries. And so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help this show out, it's really easy. Just go to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Ordinary Chicago Wins Wednesday, and here's why. Uh, first of all, I'm going to get the show started by giving a shout-out to uh, State Senator Rob Martwick uh, and Sharon Martwick uh, for doing such a great job in setting up last night's mayoral forum uh, at the Copernicus Center at Lawrence and Milwaukee. That's way on the northwest side, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there was the 38th Ward Democrats who invited me out there and sponsored it, but I believe that's actually in the 45th Ward. Don't quote me on that, but it used to be anyway. And I just had a great time. A big crowd on hand. Uh, I've talked a lot about the mayoral candidates who didn't show up. Uh, there were candidates who did show up and did a good job for themselves, in my humble opinion. Uh, I'm going to run through the roster. I'm going to run through the roster of the candidates who showed up. Uh, and let's see. Here we go. Here's the roster. Paul Vallis was there. Willie Wilson was there. Uh, Alderman Rod Sawyer was there. Uh, Alderman Sophia King was there. Uh, Brandon Johnson was there. Jamal Green was there. And Cam Buckner was there. And they did a great job, in my humble opinion. Uh, there's, you know, a forum is a tight situation. Everybody, uh, you you can't ask everybody the same question because when there's so many people on the stage. And so what you have to do is um, ask one question and for one candidate gets, uh, what is it, 60 seconds to answer. And then two other can candidates get 30 second, what we call rebuttals. And everybody gets the same questions and it flowed really well. Uh, and for me, uh, the, the most fun was the lightning round of questions at the end of the forum we're rapid fire, just real fast. Keep it fast uh, with your responses uh, on the answers uh, to the questions. And at the very end, I just couldn't help myself. This was not one of the questions uh, that Rob and Sharon had gathered. Uh, they had gathered questions from all community groups, other journalists, Amanda Vinicky, shout out to you. He gave a lot of great questions. Uh, various uh, union organizations, unions, et cetera, uh, came up with the questions. I was merely the reader of the questions, uh, but um, at the end, I just couldn't help myself. So I threw out my own question, which is uh, sort of what there, what is your attitude to the fact uh, that Lori Lightfoot and Chewy Garcia were no shows? Uh, and I got to give old, uh, Paul Vallis credit. He uh, he had the best response, in my humble opinion. Uh, he said uh, what? Uh, uh, 
Lori Lightfoot didn't show up because she has too much to defend. Uh, and Chewie Garcia didn't show up because he hasn't figured out what to say. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. And also, Chewie's in a little trouble with the FTX. Uh, the donation he got from FTX. We'll be doing a whole separate show on that, by the way. Manny Rumble will be coming on to talk about me. So, yeah, you know, they were hiding out, ducking and dodging. Uh, kind of a cynical ploy there. Uh, let me counter uh, pose that, what went on at the... Um, at the Copernicus Center last night. So imagine this is a room, about a couple hundred people, uh, uh, citizens who follow politics passionately. Uh, I'm obsessed with politics. You all know I talk about it all the time. If you're listening to this show, you're obsessed with politics. You follow it all the time. You're really smart. Now, I'm about to pat us all on the back. I mean, we are the people who follow this stuff. All right. Monroe Anderson sitting on deck. He's ready to come on and spend his whole lifetime passionately following uh, politics. I do a show at the Promontory for First Tuesday. The people in the audience really know their politics. They, they'll send me articles. Okay, keep me informed. Right. I always joked about how I laughed because it was like when I'd be following the mainstream media and they just kind of started covering Darren Bailey. We were talking about Darren Bailey a year ago because political junkies know what's going on. You read Shia Kapos, you read Rich Miller, you read the Sun-Times, the Tribune on a regular basis. OK, so Gregory Pratt, good friend of this show, uh, ace, a city hall reporter for the Tribune, had a funny little tweet. Uh, this tweet was a couple days ago. He goes, I was at a party with relatively normal, <laughs> relatively normal, i.e. not super political people. And they really like Mayor Lightfoot's video game delivers commercials. Make of that what you will. I laughed at that because uh, we've been making uh, fun of those commercials for a long time. They're so incredibly lame. It's hard. It's hard to believe that anybody would like them. You know, it's with the two characters, Felix, Felix and Oscar. And we talked about this last week. Uh, I know what a week Dr. D and I did. Uh, I was saying, well, you know, I think this is going to go over really big with boomers because Felix and Oscar are the names of the characters in The Odd Couple. And just boomers, like, oh, it's, I just remember Jack Klugman, Tony Randall. So I thought they, boomers. But apparently, I mean, Greg Pratt's a young guy. So if he's at a party, uh, the ordinary people he's hanging out with, you know, are, I don't know, millennials or Zs. And. They like Felix and who knew they like Felix and Oscar too, you know, uh, relatively normal. And I know uh, Gregory's uh, being ironic there because really the substitute for relatively normal are people who don't pay attention. Let's, let's be honest. You know, I mean, like millennials make fun of me all the time because they cannot believe that I do not know how to operate a cell phone. And it's true. I'm really clumsy. I always have to. I'm always asking my uh, producers for help. I'm asking my kids for help. I'd like to stop millennials in the street if I could. Ask for how do you do with this thing? This thing is so weird. But <laughs> at least I know how our political system works. And it's kind of funny. Like I'm weird because I don't know how to use a cell phone. And they're relatively normal because they're absolutely clueless about politics to the point where their main source of information is a paid commercial propaganda that's fed to them on TV. Okay. And they're like, oh, I like that commercial. I may vote for Lori Lightfoot. And so here is the governing principle. We should never forget when it comes to a mayoral election, any election, the underlying assumption 
of the people who run the campaigns of the leading candidates, usually the general, the leading candidates, this case, Jesus Chuy Garcia and Lori Lightfoot, are that the people of Chicago are, to put it mildly, not that bright. And you can win them over real easy with a commercial of Felix and Oscar. That's all it takes. They're not paying attention. They're not listening to political talk shows. They don't listen to Monroe Anderson. They don't listen to Gregory Pratt when he comes on. They don't listen to Kelly Garcia when she comes on. They don't listen to David Ferris when he comes on. All these really smart people who know the game explaining. They don't care. They're clueless. Only like 35% of the people in the city of Chicago vote. 65% are just completely alienated from the system. Of that 35%, the reigning theory of the people who run Lori Lightfoot's campaign and the people who run Chewy Garcia's campaign is that most of them are clueless. If you just feed them a commercial about Felix and Oscar, they're yours for life. <laughs> I don't know. It's so complicated. I just laughed out loud when I read Greg. And, and I know what you're getting at, Gregory. I understand exactly what you were saying uh, with that line that you said, uh, relatively normal. You know, but the, the, like the, the joke in there is that the abnormal people are the ones who care about politics and follow it. And the relatively normal people are the clueless majority who pay no attention whatsoever, don't know what's going on, and decide they're going to vote for Mayor Lori Lightfoot because I like Felix and Oscar. But I'll tell you what, the folks last night at that mayoral forum uh, were not in that group. Good people, smart people, pay attention. And, you know, by the way, the ordinary people who only know what they see in a Lori Lightfoot commercial, Here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. Their vote counts every bit as much as your vote. You can study politics. You can know all the candidates. You can know their positions and all the uh, issues. You can know the strategists behind the scene. You can know all that. You could read everything Gregory Pratt writes or Ben Jarofsky writes or Maya Dumas <laughs> writes or Mick Dumkey writes or et cetera and so forth. And the person who only watches that one commercial his or her vote counts every bit as much as yours. That's called democracy, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not complaining about it. Although I may be complaining a little bit. All right, let's bring on Monroe Anderson. Uh, he's ready. He follows the news. He knows what's going on. Uh, welcome back, Monroe. It's good to be back. Yes, you're looking very healthy, looking very good. Uh, and uh, he remember we talked about he had a cold last week. Every day passes, you get healthier, and that cold... Uh, recedes further further by the way uh something's going around my wife caught it uh and uh, ricky hendon caught it uh and i thought ricky wasn't going to come on uh tomorrow but he called me today ladies and gentlemen so he will be on tomorrow ricky hendon will be on tomorrow he'll be fighting off that call all right monroe we didn't talk about this uh before we went on the air but i just have to mention this when uh for the last five years we talk about trump 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 uh and the trump political movement and uh, cnn released uh, the Mark Meadows texts. Now, I know uh, you know what I'm talking about. These are the texts that were sent to the chief of staff of uh, Donald Trump on January 6th. Absolute <laughs> insanity behind the scenes. And 
ladies and gentlemen, longtime listeners of the show know that when MAGA was uh, storming the Capitol in real time, while it was happening, when Roe and I were having a conversation, and we had to cut off the show that day early because we just had to run to the TV and watch, like, what was going to happen? Were they going to successfully uh, strong arm Mike Pence and the congressman and the congresswoman into um, eradicating the vote and giving the presidency to Donald Trump? Their coup was unsuccessful and eventually they were evacuated from the Capitol. But the texts that were released uh, over the last couple of days between various Congress people, Republican Congress people, and Mark Meadows Joe Monroe, uh, that while the Congress people were in under threat from MAGA, they were already starting the propaganda. They were all Marjorie Taylor Greene was already starting the propaganda. I don't think these are real MAGA people, she was texting. This could be Antifa. They were already starting the spin and the BS Monroe to defend Donald Trump, to defend the insurrection, to defend the stealing of the um the attempted steal of the 2020 presidential election. Pretty uh and pretty revealing uh batch of texts. Would you uh would you yeah, well, what it shows is that Trump had planted all the seeds and they were um, sprouting at that point. You know, he was long before he lost the election, he was saying that if he lost the election, it was stolen. And if he didn't lose it, it was right. So, I mean, he, he, he did that months before the actual election took place. And so they were prepared for that. And they couldn't believe he could the reality is just like he couldn't believe that he won in 2016. He didn't even have a victory speech ready because it, it was so out of, out, outside the realm of reality. He couldn't believe that he lost in 2020 because, I mean, you know, it was Biden. Yeah. And he said, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. <laughs> You know, good old milk toast Biden. Yeah. And so they were prepared for it. And plus, they've been inside this bubble, this political right wing bubble. Uh, uh, and so they watch Fox. They talk to each other. Um, they don't go beyond that bubble. And so in that bubble, Trump was invincible. So they couldn't believe that he actually, this is why it was so easy to, to launch the big lie. Well, the, the interesting uh, revelation in the text is how many of the people sending, uh, many of these Republicans who are fierce Trump loyalists were conflicted, almost schizophrenic. Uh, so on one hand, they were besieging Mark Meadows to get Trump to do something, anything, to uh, call off the insurrection. And then on the other hand, uh, they're, like, as you were saying, planting the uh, propaganda seeds. Well, it's not really MAGA people. It's Antifa. And Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter. Although there are about 
from from my count, about four blacks in the entire audience. <laughs> four extremely confused black people. Right, exactly. Uh, right. Which kind of sounds like uh, a perfect description of Herschel Walker's black vote in uh, Georgia. Right. A handful of very confused black people. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They started blaming Black Lives Matter or hardly any black people uh, there. That we, and by the way, in the weekend before, uh, this kind of gets lost uh, in the shuffle. Um, some of the um, the same uh, insurrectionists were attacking black people in the streets of Washington uh, in the uh, in the days before the inauguration as they came to Washington to prepare. Uh, I don't know if you notice this. One of the attacks came from Donald Trump Jr. or several of them came from Donald Trump Jr. to Mark Meadows, which is Monroe. I don't know about the the ins and the outs of the Trump family, but here's a moment of crisis involving his father. And Donald Trump Jr. is pleading with Mark Meadows to get Donald Trump himself, Daddy Trump, his father, to do something. What do you think that says about the relationship between uh, baby Trump, Donnie Trump Jr., and Daddy Trump? And he doesn't think much of his opinion. <laughs> Junior, Senior doesn't think much of Junior's opinion. At all, it's, you know, I mean, we have long ago figured out that that Junior is an idiot, and um, Senior has known it for, oh, 35 years or so. Uh, yeah, well, it's really on display. I mean, there's Junior frantically. And he too, by the way, Monroe, is saying, well, it. I think it's Antifa. It could be Antifa, you know? Yeah. They're like holding all hopes that it's Antifa. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, that was back in the day when I was still fighting with... Um, Trump nuts on Facebook, and um, they tried to present that argument to me on Facebook, and I said, "Do you see all those Trump flags, those red caps? How, how, how did they? How did Anifa get a, a hold of all this stuff? Be for real, folks. Yeah, which they weren't, of course. No, they're not. Right, uh, they're not for real. They're completely deluded. All right, let's." Uh... Take a take. Uh, as long as we're talking about MAGA, uh, the Republicans are about to seize control of Repul of Congress without an insurrection, without climbing the walls. Uh, they've done it at the ballot box. Uh, they uh, picked up enough seats to flip uh, the uh, Congress, House Representatives, from uh, Democratic to Republican control. Thanks for nothing, New York Democrats, uh, who are absolutely clueless about how to play the game. Uh, and uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, representative congressman from uh, California, uh, is scrambling to line up the votes to elect himself, have, have himself elected as speaker. Uh, what's your general thoughts about the state of the Republican caucus in uh, Congress, Monroe, as they prepare to take control? Uh, they are preparing to have investigations indictments, impeachments, whatever they can, they are going to investigate the investigators. They're going to impeach the impeachers. They are going to um, uh, look into anybody who exposed Trump and them mm -hmm. to be the un-Americans that they are.
How far do you think you're going to take this? Well, how far did they take Benghazi, which had nothing to do with anything? And they had 14 different investigations mm -hmm. over a, a three or four year period. So that's all they're going to be doing. They, the big question is, and I'll bet you three lunches you can't answer this one. <laughs> what positive are effective or necessary good legislation that will help America are the Republicans in Congress going to pass over the next two years? Absolutely nothing. Right, exactly. Uh, right. Edwin Starr, he was talking about war. I'm talking about uh, Republican <laughs> legislation. Uh, absolutely nothing. What are the Republican good, good for? Nothing. Right. They're the most worthless political party right now. Uh, I are hey, I just won the bet. I can't wait. Let's go to uh, in honor of Sergio. Let's go to the pancake. No, I, I said no. You're supposed to tell me what which ones they can do, not the fact that they're not going to do anything. Uh, That's obvious. I mean, I mean, which ones will they do? Not can do, but will actually pass. I, they will pass. They will pass nothing. They will. I don't know if they get anything passed. I mean, I, I'm walk, looking at that Republican uh, caucus right now. Uh, and I mean, you said something to me about this uh, before we went on the air about the power of Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, yeah. and uh, her little uh, acolytes. And they're such a Looney Tune fringe um, that is continuing the Trump coup and insurrection in their own ways. They are going to force because if they leave the, the caucus, they deny McCarthy the votes he needs to be speaker. Okay. So he is going to be constantly trying to win them over. Uh, and that will make life very difficult and challenging for any Republican anywhere in America who's trying to appeal to what? A middle ground of voters that exist outside the cult. So I don't know if they could pass any legislation. I don't know uh, if the legislation they would propose is anything that would anybody would want. I certainly doubt that it would ever it would help anyone. Um, I believe it's going to be a perpetuation of culture wars, Monroe. That's kind of what you're saying. You know what I mean? They're going yeah, to you know, stems. I, I don't know if you caught this or not, but. Uh, a week or so ago, Clyburn was being very devilish. He yeah. was trolling McCarthy. He says, rather than depend on Marjorie Taylor Greene, what, what he should do, McCarthy, is forget about those six or seven uh, um, super crazy Republicans and um, sit down with Democrats. And see if they can get some moderate. He can get some moderate Democratic votes to give him the leadership. Well, I would say, I mean, this sounds really extreme and uh, unlikely. Right. Why not the other? Why not uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who's now the leader of the Democrats in the Congress, sitting down with I don't know. It take I think it would take 
five Republican moderates. Five. That's what yeah. it would take. And getting them to caucus with the Democrats. I that I think that's more likely than finding five Democrats. No, uh, it's not more likely. Unless they unless they were five who planned not to be with not to be in Congress in two years. Yeah, valid point. Whereas, okay, whereas now let's 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 think about this. Go ahead. Although, although Clyburn was actually messing with McCarthy, yes, controlling him. But if he did go to the, the Democrats, mm-hmm. said I I need seven votes to be named uh, Speaker of the House. And we can we can we can set forth doing legislation that will be good for America, that will help all, all my constituents and your constituents, et cetera, et cetera. And they did that. Then we will be have a return to normal. And I'm not talking about the um, normal like your friend was talking about that you were referring to earlier. I'm talking about politics as it used to be, where Republicans were wanted smaller government and wanted less taxes, all their tropes that they used mm-hmm. to talk about. A secure, uh, a secure nation, anti-Russia. Uh, they could return to that instead of being in um, the land of the Looney Tunes, where they are now, or as I like to refer to them as um living on pluto yeah no i i i don't i don't see that happening no uh, no, no 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 Clyde, but i'm sure didn't see it happening yeah I, he, i'm sure he was just teasing and needling yeah. uh by the way what he's on a roll uh we haven't talked about this last time we talked about uh, james Clyburn a lot in the 2019 cycle leading into 2020 because uh i think monroe you're the one who said this he was the most pivotal ally Joe Biden had. Right. Uh, that the race turned around when South Carolina uh, went for Biden, and South Carolina went for Biden in a large part because Jim Clyburn endorsed him. Not just, you know, he passionately endorsed him. Okay. So uh, he said, he said um, that he knew Joe Biden not only knew them. But he and him, but he knew Joe Biden. And that Joe Biden was the man. Yeah. And uh, Bernie, Bernie could not in any way uh, significantly pick up black votes. We were talking about this right. for six years now, Monroe. Yes. And uh, he, Bernie got my vote. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't get mine. He did not get yours. But and, your and, and, and as I said to you, you tried to mis- misrepresent my position every chance you got. <laughs> but, my, but my position yeah. was that Bernie could not win the election because the day that Bernie became the candidate, the, the front runner, the flag bearer for the Democrats, Republicans would start running political ads with the hammer and sickle on them. <laughs> oh my God, these old discussions. Uh, they're right. Right. Exactly. 
uh, and yet I voted for Bernie. I, mean, I see that name on the ballot. I vote. It's like Obama. I see the name on the ballot. I vote for Pat Quinn for years. I see his name on the ballot. There's just some politicians, Monroe. I see their name, and it's just like, oh, I'm voting for this politician. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot help myself. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's just like, ah, uh, you know, I like Pat Quinn. I like Bernie Sanders. For- they're 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 doctors you could go see about that <laughs> i'll stay out of it every time i saw barack obama's name on a ballot i voted for him and monroe if somehow or other he decided to come back and ran for office guess what i'd be voting for him oh yeah he's a good guy i like barack yeah i guess there's well, a doctor. you know what uh, many 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 years ago when he was a state rep a uh, state senator yeah i had lunch with him uh-huh. And I, you know, my first time meeting him, and I asked him what 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 it, what what was his political ambitions. And he said um, he wanted to be mayor of Chicago. Come on back. Yep, he can come on back. Uh, I, I, I'll bet you ten lunches that he could win if he ran for mayor. Oh my God! He, <laughs> they they would suspend the rules. Uh, and do away with the election. Just anoint him mayor. <laughs> right. Just you're the mayor, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, we don't even need an election. And I'll bet you 20 lunches that he'll be a better mayor than your man Daly was. <laughs> My man Daly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is trolling uh, massive <laughs> proportions. I'm just going to let that one slip by by the way i had some fun last night at the forum so uh the rules of the forum were such that um uh if you spoke beyond your limit because we really there was all these candidates on stage monroe and so uh, you know there's got to keep them within a limit you know this you've moderated debates and forums you got to keep it moving everybody's got to get a chance to talk so you can't just hog the mic and so I told, and they had told me this, the people, uh, the 38th Ward Democrats who are running the debate had told me uh, that they'll cut off a microphone of somebody who just repeatedly ignores the, the the request to stop talking. So I said, when I got up there, I go, I don't know, you guys are too young to remember old man Daly, because you're all too young. But back in the day, old man Daly, if he didn't like what an ottoman was saying, he would turn off their mic. And that's what they're going to do to you if you go over the time limit. And then I looked at him and I saw Paul Ballas and I saw Willie Wilson. And I go, yeah, I think there may be a couple of you candidates out there who remember old man Daly. They didn't appreciate that one too much. But come on, guys. It's called experience. Um, all right. You mentioned uh, Joe Biden. So let's get to Joe Biden. You've been singing his praise now uh, for about a year. And um, longer than that, when 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 it was bernie versus joe yes i said joe was the guy and and i don't know if you remember this but i said at that time that what's what's being said out there in the real world among democrats is joe is good enough (laughs) and that and and actually joe has turned out to be better than good enough joe is the best yeah. Well, uh, that's what I was getting at. You're I'm mainly talking uh, about uh, Joe as president. Uh, but yes, you were singing his praise even before he was president. He was just yeah. candidate. Joe. But I'm saying, yeah, I've been singing his praises as president for the last two, two uh, year. All yeah. right. So um, uh, 
apropos to that, I got an email today uh, from Norman Solomon. Uh, it's not a personal email. It's it's a, a mass email. I want to I'm sure thousands of people who received this uh, email and Norman Solomon is a, a leftist uh, who um, who's on this show. He may have been on the show with you, uh, Monroe. He's allied with uh, Delmarie Cobb here in Chicago, dear friend of the show, uh, as part of an effort to keep uh, the Senate uh, from voting for Rahm Emanuel as ambassador to Japan. They were unsuccessful in that endeavor, as you know. Uh, and you and I debated that one. Uh, your position, as I recall, is better have them in Japan than anywhere near Chicago, which right. <laughs> has, exactly. has a lot of uh, merit to it, in my own mind. All right. Anyway, uh, he's he, has he done any harm yet to, to our knowledge? Um, I no, I to, to my our knowledge is the key part right, of that. Exactly. Thing, okay. Uh, right. To our knowledge. Yeah. Um, so. Um, uh, but uh, so here we go. Here's this uh, press release that they just sent out. Get, get your response to this headline. Don't run Joe campaign launches TV ad in New Hampshire. The don't run Joe campaign begins advertising in New Hampshire. Only statewide commercial TV station this week with a 60 second spot urging President Biden not to seek reelection. Set to air during local evening news and the Jimmy Kimmel Live program on ABC. Uh, it features on-camera appearances by several New Hampshire Democratic voters, including State Representative Ellen Reed, who says, quote, our ideas are way more popular than Joe Biden's uh, ideas are. Uh, another speaker declares that Joe Biden represented the status quo in 2024, simply won't cut it, and a third voter warns in the ad that we can't afford to risk the White House for a Republican who could defeat status quo Joe. I have many feelings about this, but I want to hear what Monroe, what you, Monroe Anderson, have to say about Democrats, lefty Democrats, launching a Don't uh, Run Joe campaign. Go ahead. In New Hampshire. Yes. In New Hampshire. That is correct. Hey, going back to Clyburn. Mm. Uh, Thanks to Clyburn, uh, New Hampshire is not even going to be the first uh, where the vote happens first, and it's it's going to be South Carolina. Yeah, Clyburn's right. Clyburn's choice. Uh, secondly, Joe has done more than was expected of him. If Trump is a candidate, which is questionable, but if he is a candidate, uh, Joe is the only Democrat that can beat Trump. Uh, and thirdly, uh, he, 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 he's going for, your friend is going for low-hanging fruit. The majority of Democrats don't think Joe should run. Right now, I mean, they you know they're polls that that have him um, not the, the top person, and um, of course there are polls that also have DeSantis beating Trump. Uh, but it's too early in 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 the season for all this, and Trump uh, Biden can run on his record, mm. and and just running on his record, he will be the guy when it's all said and done. 
All right. Before I respond to that, I just want to uh, notify listeners that uh, Lee Allen Jones will be uh, joining us really soon to talk about his dear friend, Lloyd Newman, who passed away. Uh, so we're going to send out our invitation to Lee Allen Jones. Uh, bring him on the show real soon. Lee Allen Jones, a regular on our show. A lot of times we talk football, but today we'll be talking uh, about uh, Lloyd Newman. All right. Uh, Monroe, when I saw this press release, uh, I had two reactions. One was the lefty in me was like, good, put pressure on Joe Biden not to forget the left. Uh, the other part of me was the pragmatist who's like, my Democrats love fighting with each other. Right. You know, I mean, they just love fighting with each other. I can't recall uh, I, in the age, uh, this century, uh, a Republican being challenged, uh, an incumbent president being challenged. Right. And, uh, even Donnie Trump wasn't challenged by from by Republicans in any significant way. Uh, George Bush uh, was not challenged. I do recall uh, Daddy Bush in '92, and this really hurt him. Was challenged by Patrick Buchanan on the right uh, in the primary season, and that, of course, Patrick Buchanan was the um, the roots, his campaign was the roots of the Donald Trump campaign in many ways. Uh, so it's usually a sign of trouble for an incumbent president to be challenged in a primary uh, and uh, from a faction of his party. Here's my theory, Monroe. And yeah, uh, uh, Ken Senator Kennedy gave us uh, Reagan. Yes. Right, and Carter. Very good memory. Uh, 1980. I, I followed that one very carefully. I was actually, um, I was really into that uh, <laughs> that primer between uh, Senator Ted Kennedy and uh, President Jimmy Carter. And uh, Ted Kennedy gave the famous speech uh, at the um, the dream will not be deferred at the uh, the Democratic National Convention. But I believe uh, that there's just a general negative attitude about politicians across the board. And that that is what is often reflected in a poll. It's become just so acceptable not to say anything nice about a politician. That's just where we're at right now in America. And uh, so it's like Donald Trump's negative ratings are uh, very high. Joe Biden's negative ratings are very high. Lori Lightfoot's negative ratings are very high. Across the board, negative ratings seem to be poor. I think even Pritzker's were high. Uh, his negative ratings were high, not as high as Lori Lightfoot's. So I just think in general, there's this sense of disdain, like almost like a knee-jerk response of disdain for elected officials, part of the cynicism of our age, uh, that it, it's hard to distinguish what's just a knee-jerk response of disdain for elected officials from what is like legitimate hardcore uh, hatred of this or that uh, politician. That's the theory I'm uh, working with as yeah, I look no, at the The, the governor of California one, got one re-election and his, his, his polling was in the 40s. <laughs> so yeah, so you're absolutely right. And, and by the way, I, I get it. I understand it. I mean, I do understand the disdain that people have for politics. Uh, I had a conversation earlier today, Monroe, the show will drop this weekend with Brendan Schiller, 
who is the son of Helen Schiller, older woman, and he's left politics for the moment because he's just he he says he points out that all the injustices that he has fought so hard against, it's just not making any headway whatsoever. And he just could not pound his head against the wall anymore, needed to take a break. And he, of all things he's doing to take a break, he's gone to Vegas and picked up a career in playing poker. That's neither here nor there. But uh, I get, when I listen to him, and uh, when I talk to people in general, I understand there's just so much hypocrisy out there, Monroe, that it's really easy to have just an overall disdain uh for politics in general do you agree with that point uh yeah yeah i mean the, the republicans are just i mean they're they're they have taken uh politics to its lowest rung and then dug a hole so they could go deeper yeah. in, 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 into hypocrisy uh corruption i mean all the negative things that 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 you like to think about politicians, they're doing it. All right, let's uh, bring in Lee Allen Jones, uh, who is uh, patiently standing by. Lee Allen, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I cannot see you, but I can hear you. Um, so, Lee Allen, before we get onto the conversation about your friend and colleague who uh, passed on, uh, Lloyd Newman, I just get your thoughts about... Uh, uh, what I just said, uh, what Monroe and I just said, Lee Allen, people should know this, Green Party uh, candidate uh, for Senate. Uh, I ran for Congress. Can't remember if you ran on the Green Party ticket or not, uh, Lee Allen. I apologize for forgetting that. Uh, so uh, you're at it. What's, what's your response to the notion that in general uh, there is just a, a strong feeling of disdain and uh, almost hatred? for uh politicians in our country right now i'm right there with everybody else you know i i'm uh i haven't voted like i said i haven't voted since i ran for congress in 2013 2014. i would chastise you except uh i'm at a point right now where i'm tired of chastising people for not voting and i'll tell you why in part uh i just see so much uh hypocrisy in the local level in chicago you, you know what I'm saying? Like there was, we talked at length about this, uh, the bring Chicago home ordinance that would have uh, slapped a tax uh, on the sale of well-to-do homes to raise money for, uh, to build housing for the homeless. They couldn't even get a quorum in the city council to vote on whether there would be a referendum on that issue. And I believe that referendum would pass. I believe that referendum would be very popular in the city of Chicago. And I also believe it would be an important uh program to have but you couldn't even get a vote you couldn't get a quorum and you see what i'm saying lee allen jones it's like it's hard to get people to say oh i believe in the system when the system in so many ways is so cynical do you get what i'm saying without a doubt. i mean yeah without a doubt i mean i read a piece about uh the the, the retirement of uh ed burke and just you know, and everything that goes with that. And you think about Madigan. Uh, I mean, these are institutions within uh, what's supposed to be public institutions, and it just doesn't seem like the the little guys getting a fair shot. Yeah. Uh, the, the column you re, uh, you're alluding to is a column I just wrote about Ed Burke. The headline is "Good Riddance." Um, 
All right, Lee Allen, uh, I am looking right now at a picture of a very young you wearing a Florida State um, jacket. And I think this picture is from 1996. Monroe, uh, Lee Allen looks so young. Uh, and uh, you're standing with your partner, your uh, radio partner, and your dear childhood friend, Lloyd Newman. Uh, at the Ida B. Wells homes in Chicago where they recorded remorse. I'm reading the caption and the headline. It's an obituary in today's New York Times. Lloyd Newman, who chronicled ghetto life as a teen, dies at age 43. His death in a hospital, this is in the uh, obituary by Sam Roberts, was caused by complications of sickle cell anemia, his brother Michael said. Um, it's a very moving article. I urge everybody to read it about the life of Lloyd Newman. Sounds like a guy I would really like uh, Lee Allen. I never met him, uh, but sounds just like a really uh, decent Chicago Chicago citizen. Talk a little bit about your friend Lloyd Newman and the collaboration uh, that you were you had with him way back when in the nineties. Thanks for having me on. How you doing, Monroe? Hey. Um, it's uh, I mean it's somber. Uh, we we I've known Lloyd since kindergarten, so to gone through all the things that you know we were able to do and accomplish but just really just going back to the origins of our friendship you know kids chicago public schools you know just kids and then looking at what it evolved into uh it's really somber how did you meet him kindergarten like i said you know we uh we started kindergarten together so kindergarten first grade second grade, third grade, you know, every year, you know, Lloyd's your classmate, you know, and so, uh, you know, Lloyd was one of the first people that I think that I started hanging out with when I started venturing, you know, when you can go as far, you know, when you kind of venture off of your block and the guys at school and you start meeting up, Lloyd was one of the first people that I had that that process with, and, uh, you know, I was there when he was 10 when he lost his mother. You know, coming out of Chicago public housing, and you know he lost his mother, ten or nine years old. His father had some challenges and circumstances, but through all of that, uh, even with sickle cell at that age, he was still strong and persevering. And you know, wanted an opportunity in life and was able to seize life. What 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 grammar school did you go to? We went to Donahue Elementary School on Thirty Seventh and Congress Grove. It's now a University Donahue UFC charter school. So uh, it's you know, a far better state than it was when we were there. Uh, so at some point uh, in uh, your life, according to the New York Times story, uh, 1996, uh, Lloyd Newman and Lee Allen Jones won a Peabody Award, the youngest broadcasters at the time to do so for remorse. The 14 stories of Eric Morse, a collage of recordings exploring the killing of a five-year-old boy tossed from the window of a vacant 14th floor apartment in the Ida B. Wells homes by a 10 and 11 year olds because he refused to steal candy for them, according to the police. The two young journalists squeezed magic from the streets of their struggling South Side neighborhood. And the quote, the reporter Don Terry wrote in the New York Times in 1997. Talk a little about putting that, uh, uh, that radio piece together Lee Allen, and what it was like working with Lloyd Newman and your old friend. I mean, just think about back then with the public housing in, in those buildings and how haunting they were. I mean, Candyman, um, 
what happened with Dantrell Davis, the the ten year old that was shot, and uh, what was that, Cabrini Green? Yeah. So when when the incident happened with uh, Eric Morris, this was nineteen ninety four, October October tenth ninety four. I'm coming home from school, and I can see as I'm walking down Langley North coming from King High School, where I went to high school, that there's a bunch of police out there, like an like abnormal amount of police in the ambulance. So you're assuming, you know, it happens, people get shot. And you didn't know what it was until you watched the news and said, that, you know, a kid had gotten dropped from the, from the window, which was totally different. And then next thing you know, they're talking about, uh, uh, President Clinton's talking about it, right? Because you got to remember, Ron was his was in his cabinet might have been Ron was in that cabinet or something. I can't remember specifically what it was. But I know Clinton talked about that and then just to hear about that in the neighborhood and then to come to find out it was a five year old and then I had known uh one of the young men that was convicted of doing it. I knew his brother. So I would have been around those you know, I would have been around all of those shit at some point. And then, you know, it just didn't even the documentary. My mother went to school with Eric's mother, Tony mm. Morris. So there were just so many different connections to the story. Just to, you know, it, this was like when you first started getting uh, this bit, what was it, the super predator? This is what they talked about back then. This is what drove into the 1994 crime reform bill. This is what drove into Renaissance 2010. All those different programs were kind of moved by what happened. It's almost like the uh, the Laquan McDonald before the Laquan McDonald in terms of how provocative it was. And, you know, we got the opportunity to report on that as journalists because we had just kind of doing Ghetto Life 101 with our first piece. But it had come back and did a, a real story that wasn't like autobiographical, was at 13, 14 years old, was. I mean, I just, it's it's astonishing, you know, looking at it as a 43-year-old and, and, and working with 13. I, I can't believe that we were a part of it, but we were. So, Lee Island, what, what was your strengths uh, in the reporting duo, and what were Lloyd's strengths? You uh, each probably brought something to the table. Uh, Lloyd's assessment of just looking at it from the perspective of those young men that were all a part of it and, and making sure that we saw their humanity, even though it was about something that was inhumane. So to speak, and just trying to, you know, making sure that we saw them as kids. For me, it was just, you know, making sure we hit the ground every we did every discussion to add to the fabric of the story. Did you have any background as a, a a journalist when you started this? I mean, when I say that, it, like, were you an obsessive reader of newspapers or watcher of TV shows or, uh, you know, one of those kinds of kids who clip newspaper articles out and pasted them in notebooks? Yeah, I was doing the best, you know, uh, Chicago comment, commentator I could be. You know what I mean? I was trying to be Lester Holt or whoever because, I mean, I watched a lot of news because my grandparents didn't really want me outside the house a lot because we lived around the corner uh, from uh, the public housing development. So she wanted to try to keep me there. So that means I had to watch a lot of the TV that they watched if I wasn't watching cartoons. So, you know, um, I, you know, I had a basic 
understanding of what you should, you know, in terms of a journalist trying to be important documenting. So when the opportunity came, you know, I did the best mimic I could and, you know, that's what it led to. Mm. Uh, and of course you were influenced by the great Monroe Anderson as well. Uh, so uh, I just had to say that because Monroe's sitting here smiling. Without a doubt, without uh, a doubt. Uh, who was on channel two in those days. Um, so after the, uh, you won your awards and you uh your story came out became a uh was a success uh what was the trajectory of uh, lloyd newman's life i know uh, your life's trajectory and what you did went to college etc uh and became very successful uh, in politics and in writing what was the what did lloyd do with his life i think he was he i think it gave him an opportunity to do whatever he wanted to do and he just had different challenges. Um, he didn't have the the same infrastructure that I did in my household with my grandparents, my mother, and extended family. Uh, even though he did have family, it just wasn't there like mine. Because, like I said, he lost his mother at 10, 11 years old. His sisters were 16 when they were became with their guardians, and oh, both of them ended up passing to sickle cell uh, with you know with before he did. So, you know, the family had a lot of challenges to deal with, but I think eventually, as he got older, he became a driver in the book. He mentioned he wanted to drive a cab. Well, he eventually became a Uber driver, and unfortunately, he ended up getting a bunch of red light tickets, and that's how he handled those well, and was able to do that. But ended up moving out to the town, uh, found a job at a library, and just really appreciated uh, you know, working at a library and providing services you do at a library in terms of being cordial, keeping an environment for, you know, people to, to think and read and, to, you know, and enjoy a public utility. Yeah. Uh, and here's a point. Let, let me um, add something to this that I'm sure Lee, Lee Allen is, would, would not be comfortable with adding. Um, I became his mentor, one of his mentors as a result of Anna Sims Phillips. Anna was a, an investigative producer at CBS Network. And she, she um, took him under wing. And um, as a result, told me about him. And so I, I met him and also joined in, in the mentoring of him. And um, Anna, um, to put her in perspective, she exposed um, Reverend Al and his his misdoings in the um, Tawana Brawley story. In fact, she wrote a book about it with uh, Mike Tiavi. Uh, anyway, I've had a lot of respect for Anna. She praised um, Lee Allen to high heavens. And she said of Lloyd that he, you know, he didn't, he didn't have the stuff going on for him. She said that Lee Allen was special. And this is why she mentored him and encouraged me to do the same. And so that was the main difference. If Lee Allen was uh, had certain talents that Lloyd did not have. Well. Uh, and also, uh, I'm re just reading the article, uh, Lloyd Newman got some horrific breaks that have nothing to do with a career in journalism. 
uh, and I will now read to you from this article. Uh, and this is this is a classic Chicago. Uh, anyway, uh, Newman returned to Chicago, where in 2006 he was arrested outside his sister's apartment, and charged with the manufacture, delivery, and possession of crack cocaine. This is in the obituary. He pleaded guilty on his lawyer's advice and was sentenced to two years probation. In 2021, his conviction was vacated thanks to another lawyer, Joshua Tepler, after it was determined that the evidence used to convict Mr. Newman had been taken, had been faked by corrupt police officers who were implicated in more than 100 other phony arrests. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's a reference to uh, Ronald Watts. Is it not, Lee Allen? Indeed. And we've had at least two shows uh, dedicated to the corrupt legacy of uh, Ronald Watts. And so I know Monroe uh, and Lee Allen, uh, you, you know what I'm, I'm not saying anything you don't want to agree with me. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like life is just so freaking unfair. I don't yes. know how else to put it. You know, it's yeah. just like, you can't get a, honest break sometime and you come up against a corrupt cop who plants evidence on you and it just takes you down a path that's so hard to shake uh it you know and lee allen last night we had the mayoral forum nobody talked it just didn't come up about police corruption or police abuse everybody was talking about adding more police because crime is high you follow what i'm saying uh and so that part of the equation wasn't even discussed um it's kind of frustrating but i understand the politics of it because that's where we're at uh in in our city in our country right now um but then i read about the story this this two paragraphs buried in this longer obituary about uh lloyd newman talk a little bit about that lee allen did you ever talk to lloyd about uh the watts situation you know, everybody had heard of Watts in the community for years and other police officers. I mean, it it wasn't something you ought to think the L. Rookins are from that neighborhood. You know, I mean, I grew up right down the street from the L. Rookins. So when you take all of that into the equation, um, it, it's, it's it, it, and I think it was in the Ida B. Wells housing projects. You know, I think about what Ivy Wells represented yeah. uh, in, in the 19th century, you know, for African-American people. Uh, so, to, for, and I think Watts was from the neighborhood. So, he, I think he might have grown up down there and became a police officer. Nonetheless, when him and Lloyd interacted, when you read the account, I think one of the officers, you know, when Lloyd mentioned that he was an author, he did the book in the documentary, one of the officers felt like, they should just let him go at that point and leave it alone. And Watts had pushed it because he thought he could just get it through. And, you know, I think it's remarkable because Dave, I say, who was the New York independent producer who worked with us, you know, he talked to, you know, me extensively about it because he had just won the MacArthur Genius Award, right? He had just won the MacArthur Genius Awards. I mean, within that, a year or two of this happening with Lloyd, he had just won the MacArthur. So to be talking with him about this incident and for him to say, well, he has to stand by Lloyd in this because he needs to wait at Pickerson. And there was no way he could do any type of time in jail behind this and then to have gone through the process and gotten him the attorney 
to find out that Lloyd was telling the truth and that there was a pattern of practice, you know, by Washington and his own people. And then for that to lead to what it, you know, blossomed into with all of the vacations that uh, Kim Fox has done, uh, it, it's tremendous. And I mean, it, it's just a testament to his life, even though he had challenges and struggled with things, his life is a testimony to, you know, the social justice. When was the last time uh, you uh, talked to Lloyd Newman and uh, what was sort of the general conversation like? Well, it was funny. It would have been at my wedding and Monroe would have been there. <laughs> you know, Monroe was at my wedding and Lloyd was at the wedding and we talked and we had fun that night um, enjoying ourselves, you know, as a milestone to our friendship and, and our lives as adults. And um, the last I really talked to him is when we talked about his nephew. Uh, who's a football player running back at a Chicago public school who I think is, you know, really good and has an opportunity but has some challenges that he has to deal with. Lloyd had called me and I couldn't pick up right away, but when we did talk, he inboxed me on Facebook and let me know that some things had happened with his nephew that he was dealing with on contract me. And as you know, I trained and I mentor student athletes and you know, Lloyd wanted me to work with him because, you know, he had talent and he wanted me to help shape that talent for him to, you know, an opportunity to use to get a college opportunity, which is something I, you know, I still think I can do. I just gotta, you know, get with him and, and see what he wants to do. It's nephew rather on Lloyd's wishes. Uh, yes, and uh, listeners of the show probably know Lee Allen best on this show anyway, uh, for his Bears commentary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a regular uh, commentator in the show talking Bears, a lot more uh, optimistic about the Bears than I am at the moment. Uh, but we're gonna sh- <laughs> we're gonna stay from that. Uh, yeah. well, well, I wish I had met Lloyd Newman. Uh, Lee Allen uh, told me before we went on the air, Monroe, that he was a huge sports fan. Everybody knows I'm a huge sports fan. Um, he was a Bulls fan, loved basketball, and um, uh, he had some interesting ideas about what the Bulls should do. And I would have loved to have brought him on the show, and because he, he can talk, and you put him on a mic. He's not going to run away from it, right, Lee Allen? He talked, so. Not at all, not at all. He would have enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I would have really enjoyed that. All right, let's close uh, with uh, some mayoral uh, race talk. Uh, as I said uh, many times, it was the mayoral forum last night, and um, the two quote-unquote front runners uh, did not show up. Uh, I have been railing on them ever since. That uh, would be Lori Lightfoot and Jesus Chewy Garcia. And I'm going to get a dose of real politic from uh, Monroe Anderson right now. Uh, and then Leon will cl- close with his views. And I know the real politic I'm going to get from you, Monroe, is that when you're the front runner, you don't show up at forums because only bad things can happen when you interact with the public. Uh, I'm guessing that's uh, your perspective on it. If I'm wrong, tell me why. Go. Lori Lightfoot is Snow White. And the people that showed up at your your, uh, debate debate last night are the seven dwarfs. End of story. That is so, so cynical. (laughs) So, so... Hey, you're telling me all of those signatures, you're talking about over 200,000 signatures collected in Roy. You're just going to do that to those people, all of the work that those organizations did, and you're just going to say that? Yeah, and you know what else? This, Lee Allen, I'm going to 
trump that i'm going to come right back agreement with you and again and then they're going to want to turn around and want everybody to vote okay you get what i'm saying they're going to want everybody to vote you got to come out and vote because if you don't vote the republicans are going to win and meanwhile <laughs> meanwhile they treat they treat like forums and debates and interviews and you know campaign appearances as just like trivia to ignore because the handful of people in the city of chicago vote and remember lee allen it's only 35 percent who turn out right. okay the handful of people have decided uh that uh we, you called her snow white <laughs> it's something else uh, the views and opinions of Monroe Anderson do not reflect those of the bedrock. That's pretty cynical. Uh, Lee Allen, don't you agree that's pretty cynical? Hey, the way that he said it, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it ends up being a campaign commercial. <laughs> no, because that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work in her You can put her yes, you could. You can put in a tiara. And you know she's you know Lori Lightfoot hits like that she would have fun with that. You're right, Monroe. They may take that that little excerpt of yours and put it in a campaign commercial. She's proud of that, okay? Yeah, and she'll sprinkle fairy she'll sprinkle fairy dust on Willie Wilson. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping. I'm 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 hoping to prove you wrong, Monroe. <laughs> For you know what? What is it? That Lori Lightfoot was in the same position four years ago. Right. Exactly. You know no, what? What I am presenting. You said real politics. That's real politics. Very good. Is that if you are the front runner, you have the the lion's share of the name recognition. Why would you you fight beneath you? You strike up, not down. So it's, uh, I'm sure her political advisors told her not to show up for that. Absolutely. Now, if the polls keep, and, 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 and the, the reason Chewie didn't show up is uh, what Val said. He, he hasn't figured out how to explain how he got the, the FTX money yet. Yeah, Chewie. And, you know, and the thing, in, in fairness to Chewie, I'm sure he didn't realize the guy was running a Ponzi scheme when he accepted the money. But uh, um, yeah. since he didn't realize that, at $200,000, he, Shuey has to go up against Lori, who has lots and lots of money. So this was a, gods, a godsend, he thought, at that time. Yeah. Now it turns out that it's not. Uh, 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 Lee Allen, what's your thoughts about that? Monroe's completely right. I mean, Lori's going to have uh, some challenges. I think didn't FTX say they were going to fund some type of project here uh, with the city or some type of partnership? And I wonder how that project is going to go because they were peddling, peddling money all around. Yeah. Uh, Sam was. So it, this is going to be uh, something that's going to be able to catch everybody. And also what Monroe said related to uh, Lori Lightfoot, she wants to, I think she has to avoid the Carol Mosley Braun moment. You remember the Carol Mosley Braun moment when she told it when she started sparring with uh, Susan Van Pelt? Was that when they would start cat fighting? Uh, yeah, that was in the um, the. That the, was in the mayor old. Mayor of 2011. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When she told her you was probably you're too busy smoking crack. 
she needs to, you know, we don't, she don't, that little, that's what Terry Mosley Braun said to us too, to herself, when they had their little cat fight. And Lori could be easily brought into something like that if she showed up to forums like that. And when Rose, as he, you know, elegantly stated, she needs to just kind of avoid that because she's the lead horse in this right now. All right. Well, uh, I knew they'd go real politic on me, uh, Lee Allen Jones and Monroe Anderson. Uh, but I also remember, just to close, uh, Carol Mosley Braun in that race. She also went after Rom, and I forget Rom was pulling a uh, Lori Lightfoot in those days. Lee Allen and Monroe, as I know you guys remember, uh, he was staying out of the um, the forums, etc. There were about eight people running in that election, and he was the front runner. Uh, he's I'm staying out of these. And he showed up somewhere. I forget where. And that's when um, uh, Kara Mosley Braun hit him hard with uh, the tampon reference. If you remember, uh, uh, Rahm had supposedly said something abusive uh, to some congressional staffers and uh, having to do a take the tampon out or whatever. And uh, and she was demanding, did you say that? And he was like, I didn't say it. Kind of well, I, I remember I, it was, that was just, I mean, you got to think about it. The mayor's office is, that was right after Daly had stepped down, right? That was, yes. And, you know, Ron at that point, he, I, think, I thought he used the residency purpose in that election because that ended up being the whole story before Kaczynski was found. Would he make the ballot because of residency? Yes. He milked, he milked that very well. Yes. It went all the way to the Supremes, uh, the state Supremes. Uh, and they let him stay on the ballot. It, for a while, he, I think, was actually ruled off the ballot, and he immediately appealed. Uh, he was put on the ballot. Uh, and, uh, Lee Allen, just when you were going on your riff about the Clinton uh, intervening, making comments about Eric Morse, Rom was not on the, uh, in the cabinet, but he was a key White House advisor. Uh, That's my point, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, like on domestic affairs, he was in the domestic affairs. Yeah, domestic affairs advisor. That's what it was. Yeah, to uh, uh, Bill Clinton and pretty anything that Bill Clinton did that was cynical uh, and undercut democratic principles. Probably you'll find that Rom was recommending that he do that. Uh, in my, that's my uh, Rom attack. Right, look at look, look at what we've come since '94. You got to think about this too. That would have been the first term for. Congressman Bobby Rush was retired. That would have been his first term in Congress, if I'm not mistaken. Right in the row, was that 92 or 94? He, he was elected uh, in 1992, and he was sworn yep. in in 1993. And for 10 trivia points, who, what incumbent did Bobby Rush defeat in 1992 to be the Democratic nominee to run for Congress? Either one of you. In '92, yes, he he upset an incumbent. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the um, labor guy, Charlie. Very good, Charlie excellent, Hayes. Charlie, Charlie Hayes. Hayes. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Hayes, may he rest in peace. And Charlie and Hayes, Charlie, was, Charlie was Harold's guy. Yes. Yeah. Right. And 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 Lou Palmer wanted to. Lou Palmer ran, and uh, when Harold left, Lou Palmer ran in 1983 to fill the vacancy. And I was a Lou Palmer guy, Monroe Anderson, because he was a hero of mine. He walked away from a journalism job at the Daily News. I just idolized Lou Palmer, and I was rooting for Lou Palmer. <laughs> this was well, my well, real politics. 
I would have saw Lou Palmer in the basement at Northeastern where they would do the the, the, uh, black politics. They did a lot of organizing for Hero. And I used to sneak down there three or four years old because they had freeze pop down there. Yeah. I would go down there, steal some of the free pop, but then I started going to the meetings. I was sitting in the meetings, and Lou Palmer would be there all of And this was when they were getting ready to run Harold. This was 82, 83. Man, you were a prodigy. But 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 the, yeah. po- the point I was going to make, Monroe, and you will appreciate this, and Lee Allen, you too, but I think Monroe will appreciate this even more, was so I wanted Harold to either stay out of that election and let whoever win win or endorse Lou Palmer. Uh, and he did, he went the other way, endorsed Charlie Hayes, and Charlie Hayes beat Lou Palmer. And so I remember uh, interviewing Harold Washington about this, uh, and I expressed my disappointment. And he told me something. He, he he told me something like, "When you're the mayor, you get to uh, endorse people." <laughs> and I had a laugh. It was just like a wake up moment. Uh, yeah, no, he he yeah. was he was he he was indebted to Charlie more, much more than, than, he, than he was to Bobby. Uh, or or to know, Lou Palmer, you mean. Lou Palmer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Harold was. Yes, yeah. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, Lou was, was, was very instrumental in Harold being elected. He wasn't the only one. But um, he was doing a commentary for the telephone company on on VLN uh, on well, a regular basis. Well, they were sponsoring him. He wasn't. They were sponsoring yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, he had this saying: uh, "It's enough to make a Negro <laughs> want to turn black." Yeah, <laughs> which which was uh, quite um, representative of Lou's thinking overall. Um, you know, the first journalist, second journalist I met in Chicago, Les Brownlee was the first, and then it was Lou Palmer. That's when I was working for National Observer, and I came in to do a, a story about um, the Chicago police discriminating against Renault Robinson. They had him patrolling an alley because of the African-American patrolman's league. Right. Somebody told me to contact Lou. I can't remember who. I called him. Lou gave me a tour of Chicago, black black Chicago, as as a as a a, a cub reporter for the National Observer. He just drove me around and, and pointed things out and explained things to me that was forever useful to my yeah. career. No, he's a very generous man. He's a real gentleman. Yeah. Uh it was always very uh, helpful to me as well, the great Lou Palmer. Uh, but Harold let me know that he's the boss, and it's his decision. <laughs> and right. He didn't care what I thought, which you yeah. know, I kind of appreciated. Uh, yeah, no, one quick Harold thing. The white reporters at City Hall were critical of Harold, and their, their explanation of it was that he didn't look like a mayor. Meaning he was black, you know. I mean, they didn't say that. That's what they said. And his response was, "I'm the mayor. This is how the mayor looks." <laughs> you know what? That's so and funny now, you should say that because, I mean, 
all these years I've been covering Chicago politics, the most open uh, door policy for like a lefty like me was Harold Washington. Right. I got interviews with him. I was young. I didn't know anybody. I worked for the uh, John McDermott's, uh, the Chicago uh, reporter. And uh, I got interviews all the time from Harold Washington. And after he left, the door got slammed. First got it with your guy, Sawyer, who's afraid. <laughs> he didn't want to be interviewed by me. And Monroe was the guy slamming the door on me, uh, Lee Allen. But right. really, really under daily. Like, it was gone. And then, of course, Rom. No, or Sawyer didn't like doing interviews, period. He had not, he had done none when he was, before he became mayor. Yeah. And when he was mayor, I mean, there would be times when he was supposed to talk to somebody, let's say, like the firemen, uh, Chicago firemen who were wanted uh, a raise or something. And he would tell me to go out. He didn't want to talk to him. I said, you go out and talk to him. <laughs> so, Lee, Lee, Lee Allen, if you call, if I called uh, uh, to talk to Eugene, sorry, I'd probably end up talking to Monroe for like an hour. Okay, that's kind of how it went. And uh, yeah, I, was, I think your son's running in this. Uh, is uh, is he gonna make the ballot? I was very, I was hearing that he might not make the ballot. Well, we're gonna ask Ricky tomorrow. Ricky Hennon will be on the show tomorrow. Ricky's challenging him. Uh, Rod was at the mayoral forum last night. I thought he did very well for himself. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Rod says he's going to make the ballot. And uh, Ricky uh, has said that he won't. So <laughs> we shall see. Chicago, Chicago politics. I'm telling you, that's a, that's, a, it, that's, that's a terrible thing to go out there and get all those signatures. And somebody like Ricky Hendon is there, you know, you know, and ready just to slay you for the fun of it. Yeah. Well, not not just the fun of it. He wants to clear the way uh, for Willie Wilson, and the ruling. You know this, Lee Allen. The ruling theory is that Willie M Wilson's a black man. Rod Sawyer's a black man. So those votes that would go to Rod Sawyer would otherwise go to Willie Wilson. That's the reigning theory. I'm not saying I buy into that theory, but that's the reigning theory. And um, they should have a sing off. They should have a sing off. Rod Sawyer should sing off, have a versus battle <laughs> against uh, Willie Wilson. And they sing it off, and that's how they make this work. Uh, Willie Wilson is a very good singer. Uh, I've never heard Rod sing. Uh, but I'll tell you what. That, if they this is where his wealth comes from, his, 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 his gospel singing show. Well, his popularity, you mean. I, no, I think he got his the wealth money. from the McDonald's franchises. His, uh, no, 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 no. He made the money off of not the French, the McDonald's. He made it off the... Um, I forgot the name of his show, Sing Along, as I can't remember, like the gospel TV show. It started in Chicago when I was working at um, at WBBM TV. Since then, it's been um, it's it's all over the country. Yeah, and that's where the real money is. McDonald's is okay, but but that's that's where his real money is. Well, he has money. All right. I'll ask Ricky Hennon tomorrow, see what he has to say about that. Gas prices are going down, so those lines are going to be that much more longer now when he wants to do some gas giveaways. <laughs> yeah, the gas giveaways. Oh, Lord. Yeah, expect that. I mean, it's gas, gas tanks, turkeys, you know, chicken in the can, Willie. 
All right. So uh, we'll close with a Bears question. You can't uh, <laughs> have Lee Allen without a Bears question. Right. So, uh, Lee Allen, in your humble opinion, this was the debate at the bowling alley the other night, so you can weigh in. It, would it be better off for the Bears to win as many games as they can of the last four that they have uh, just to get in the practice of winning? Or would it be better off to lose as many of them as they can, preferably all four, so they have a higher draft choice coming up? Your opinion. Ladder. You know, we talked about this. At this point, get that number three pick. Uh, and, and will indeed. All right, probably trade that pick for many other picks. That's what he means by the wheeling and dealing. All right, Lee Allen Jones, we'll bring you on. Uh, yeah, and I and I disagree with that. <laughs> oh, really? You you think the Bears should win games? Yes, yes. I think to be specific, I think uh, Field should win some games because uh, if the if if he loses the next four games, then. The Boo Bears will be after him all of next year every time he makes a mistake. Lee Allen, you get the final word. I don't. I don't think so. I think the when you look at how that those explosive plays, the Bears lead the NFL in explosive plays. But you know, even over the Philadelphia Eagles, so long as they're being entertained, uh, they got to realize that their season is going to start on in April when they got that number three pick. And, we'll, and, and they're going to be really excited with what my um, polls gets in the draft, and then they can begin to uh, get ready to get ready to see it happen. All right, we'll leave it there. I uh, I wish Lloyd Newman. I wish I had met him, uh, Lee Allen. I wish he would come on the show, uh, and he could have weighed mm-hmm. into. I know he would probably have an opinion based on what you told me. Big sports fan. Without a uh, doubt. Without a doubt. Lloyd Newman, our rest in peace. Thank you very much, Lee Allen Jones. Thank you very much, Monroe Anderson. Uh, Every Wednesday on our show. And thank you, Producer Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.